Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Okay, just so you guys know, here's the story of 2020 so far. Uh, Australia's on fire. We almost start World War III by assassinating an Iranian general. Uh, the Iranian general is murdered. Then they attack our troops in military bases in Iraq, and Trump lies and says nobody got hurt. Kobe Bryant and his daughter Gigi and those poor folks got killed. Uh, the Navy says UFOs are a thing. There's murder hornets. Uh, Anonymous is back. Trump's hiding in a bunker. Ebola might come back. Uh, we had a president get impeached only because he's guilty and corrupt and totally lying. And he walked. Then a plague hit. He lied about the plague. Over 100,000 Americans are dead. Over 43 million Americans have lost their jobs. Nobody gets to graduate. A new Great Depression is upon us. The recession actually began in February and the Obama economic expansion is officially over. And then... And then things got bad. Let's begin. Hello and welcome back to Sanity Cast, the friendly little Stephanie Miller sexy liberal podcast network podcast about how to stay sane when the Christians have elected Caligula, the wee little pod that believes that uh, depression is a disease, negativity is a habit, Hannity is the opposite of sanity, and if we're all in this together, then despair is privilege. You don't get to check out. Check out for a little bit, do what you need, get back in the game, because boy, we need you, especially if we're in the swing states, because Hundreds of polls showing Donald Trump losing mean nothing if nobody shows up. This is where we're at, friends. We had three years of everything happening all at once, right? Three years plus of everything's happening right the fuck at once, right? 2016, everybody died. Bowie and Prince, even Abe Bogota died in 2016. It was crazy. Then with Donald Trump, it's been what the fuck fatigue. 20 scandals a day. That's how gaslighting works. And while you're correcting the last lie, 20 more lies have been told. And then suddenly, it's three months of just one thing. Three months of just the plague. This horror. And it was a horror. Believe me, I've been in New York City the entire time. I haven't stepped off Manhattan Island since February. It's been a horror. Don't let your redneck uncle fool you. And then, after three months of just one thing, it was two weeks of just one thing. The plague somehow ended. And we took to the streets because... George Floyd was murdered. And that was the one story for two whole weeks. Donald Trump kept trying to change that story. But now, now we're back to everything happening right the fuck at once. But the part that really lingers with me was Donald Trump trying to change the story because the last two weeks were just about George Floyd and the protests. And here's what you got to remember. Um, you know, the story's not Antifa. 
Okay, uh, Donald Trump said he's going to designate Antifa a terrorist organization. Bro, you can't even designate them an organization. They're a bunch of scattered douchebags. Stop it. Um, and yes, I know Antifa's anti uh, anti violence. I mean anti racism. I get that, but I'm sorry. I mean, I think you know what? I'm anti fascism and anti violence. You know why? Uh, most humans are. I'm also pro social justice and pro social distance, but we'll get to that shortly. So, so here's the deal: it wasn't about Antifa, and it's not about looting. Give me a break. You think Trump supporters really care about looting? They just don't like looting when poor brown people do it. They've been voting to let rich Caucasians loot for most of my lifetime. Donald Trump looted from the 9-11 Victims Relief Fund. Donald Trump looted from the Americans who unwisely trusted him, who unwisely paid money to go to his fraud online school. Donald Trump looted the bondholders for his casinos in Atlantic City. He looted his hideous son Eric's kids' cancer charity. He looted the treasury to pay for 300 years worth of presidential salaries in three years for his golf trips where taxpayer dollars were poured into his bank account and he looted military families when he diverted money from the Pentagon to help build a stupid, ineffective, medieval, racist, dumb fucking wall that's never going to get built, that the majority of Americans voted against, and that he promised you you, Skeeter, Mexico would pay for. If you support Trump, you got no problem with looting. No, no. The death of George Floyd, the protests, everything we've seen, anything Donald Trump says is is a, a vulgar distraction. Donald Trump's entire presidential doctrine is squirrel. That's it. Because they can't talk about what these protests were really about. So they'll make it about everything else. These protests were about one thing, the fact that George Floyd had a right to not be murdered by a cop. That's all it's about. That's all it's ever been about. But Donald Trump being a racist his entire life, and he has been, if anyone ever tells you Trump's not a racist, don't get in a fight with him. Just ask them. There's, there, there's an IQ test on this, and it consists of one question. And the one question is, where was Barack Obama born? If someone tells you Trump's no racist, just say, where was Barack Obama born? And then you'll see. Then you'll see. There might be a second question. Uh, if they if they say he was born in America, in Hawaii, your second question is, does it bother you that Donald Trump spread a racist smear and lied that the first black president wasn't really born here for years, dozens of times, with absolutely no evidence? Or are you okay with racist lies? Okay, that's, that's it. You don't need to fight. You don't need to debate anybody over whether Donald Trump is a racist. And I'd say four times out of five, when you just ask them, where was Barack Obama born? They will deflect and call you names. So save yourself some time. This whole protest was about the fact that George Floyd had a right to not be murdered. That's it. That's all it needs to be about. And as the days have gone by, Donald Trump will do anything to try and deflect because he will not talk about racism. He will not talk about police brutality. Here's a question. Have you heard Donald Trump say the words police brutality since all this began? I watched his Rose Garden ceremony. He talked about a threat to Second Amendment rights more than he talked about racism or police brutality. Now he's trying to shit on Martin Gugino. Gugino, I'm so sorry if I say your name wrong. Martin Gugino was a 75-year-old Catholic workers activist who was shoved to the ground by police in Buffalo. You saw the footage. You saw the footage of a 75-year-old man uh, getting that uh, hematoma in the back of his head. You saw the blood spread. Donald Trump today, we're recording this on the 9th, he wrote, he wrote, Buffalo protester shoved by police could be an Antifa provocateur. 
He's this fucking stupid. He's this fucking evil. 75-year-old Martin Gugino is pushed away after appearing to scan police communications in order to black out the equipment. At OANN, I watched. He fell harder than was pushed. Was aiming scanner. Could be a setup. He's done, guys. He's done. Try to find a prominent Republican who will defend him. Try to find a worse tweet than this. Martin Gugino works with a Catholic worker movement. And and the great thing about this tweet was we can finally thank the Republicans and the MAGA and the CAGs and every single Trump defender for dropping the act that any of them are even slightly Christian. They're not. They do not. They can call themselves Christians, but they're grabbing by the pussy evangelicals. Okay? That's all they are. They are Trump supremacists. They only care about their cult. None of the teachings of Jesus are reflected in any policies. Ask your racist uncle, name one teaching of Jesus Trump's ever fought for. Again, I'm into short arguments. The Catholic Worker Movement, founded by Dorothy Day, who was one of my dad's heroes, is still doing the work that Jesus taught, the social justice work that Jesus demands of his true followers. Uh, And if you want to read Acts of the Apostles sometime, you'll really understand how unchristian the so-called evangelical Christians are. All right. Um, My father had over his bed a picture a, a, a portrait, a collage of Dr. King, Gandhi, and Dorothy Day. It wasn't a very good collage. It, it, it looked more like Michael Jordan, John Lennon, and Jessica Tandy. But the thing is, the protesters are 100% in the right. The nonviolent protesters are 100% in the right. The people who refer to the marchers as thugs and rioters know exactly what they're doing. The majority of U.S. cops did not horrifically beat unarmed marchers, but several did. And America has no president. Trump can't condemn police brutality. He can't acknowledge police brutality. He cannot stop politicizing suffering for his own personal benefit. He cannot not be an ignorant, shitty white guy. And his supporters, again, can't claim any of this is Christian. And when you talk to your uncle racist and he talks about those marches, all you got to do is ask him, why weren't you marching? Why weren't you there? Yeah, all lives matter, but come on. If all lives mattered, we wouldn't need a Black Lives Matter movement. And if all lives mattered, it wouldn't be so hard for Donald Trump supporters to say the words Black Lives Matter. And again, I don't know what happened to the plague. It just disappeared. And this is my one critique of these marches, and I've struggled with it. I've talked about it every night on SiriusXM with my guests. I have really struggled with this, friends. What do you do? How do you how do you reconcile this? The need to go out and protest, the need to be outraged and take social action against this. At the same time, how are you helping the black community? How are you helping social workers by going out and gathering in large groups and risking becoming a spreader? How are you helping me as a comedian? That's my real question, because liberal, moral, smart people gathering in large groups takes all the fun out of mocking conservative, mean, dumb people gathering in large pool parties. Uh, My struggle has been, can we balance social justice and social distancing? In New York, it's been crazy, friends. I'm sure it's been crazy where you are, too. I was not around people for weeks. And then um, I began making this video for Stephanie Miller's sexy liberal comedy tour uh, virtual quarantine special. Did you watch it? On pay-per-view, Saturday the 6th. Really fun. You can still see it. Hal's in it and Rob Reiner's in it. Frangela's in it. And I made this little video about New York City. When it began... The city was just quiet. It was the most silent you've ever heard the city. And I sort of made a video about how quiet the city was. 
making the silence a character in my film. And uh, it was just me doing stand-up to an empty city. And then halfway through it, the entire thing changed. And of course, uh, we suddenly had a brand new narrative. And, and the quarantine was forgotten. And there are there is good news. I mean, New York City has seen zero confirmed deaths due to coronavirus for one day last week. It was the first day without a COVID-19 death in months. This is the week in New York that the city's gradually reopening. Um, the president's former chief of staff, John Kelly, confirmed that Donald Trump lied when he claimed he demanded Mattis's resignation. Did you read that tweet? The only thing Barack Obama and I have in common is that we both fired General Mattis. Like, nah, douchebag, you both also fired General Flynn, too. Uh, but John Kelly said, the president did not fire him. He did not ask for his resignation. The president has clearly forgotten how it actually happened or is confused. You know, it's so dissatisfying when evil guys like John Kelly and John Bolton turn on an evil guy like Trump and they can't even go all the way. I think they're just here to make me respect Mitt Romney more. Um, Orlando Universal Theme Park has reopened after 80 days uh, in Orlando. Uh, that's great if you were like really no lines at the Harry Potter ride. But as of now, over 113,000 Americans have died so far. Over 706,000 have recovered. Over 2 million Americans have been diagnosed. And over 43 million Americans have now filed for unemployment during the pandemic. More than a quarter of the nation's working force. And the billionaires... The Trump voters will be relieved to know they're doing great. Hey, be sure to thank all the Trump voters in your family for supporting the Republican Party because billionaires have become $565 billion richer since March 18th. This is according to a new report by the Institute for Policy Studies. Total wealth for our billionaires, $3.5 trillion. It's gone up almost 20 points from the top of the pandemic. Jeff Bezos has made $36.2 billion in profits just for him. Since March 18th, Jeff Bezos has made so much bank off of this plague and 100,000. Jeff Bezos is now America's first trillionaire. Congratulations, Jeff Bezos. I know 43 million have lost their jobs and you can't see fit to pay your factory and shipping workers a living wage with health care. But you know what? You're our first trillionaire. And that makes me so proud to cover your share of America's tax burden. Look, uh, here's how it works. Um, every night on the SiriusXM show, I try to talk about what Trump was saying one month ago today, or two months ago today, three months ago today. It's a little feature we do at the top of each show, just to remind you of what his position was, you know, on this date at a certain recent point. So like, it, we just did a show yesterday for June 8th. I went back five months. Here, here's just the eighth of each month, the eighth day. On January 8th, the CDC issued their first warning. That was the day Trump lied that no troops were injured in that Iranian uh, attack on the US Iraqi base. And no Americans had died. On February 8th, one month later, the first American died of COVID-19 in China. Uh, one month later, March 8th, well, by then, 22 Americans had died from this. That was the day Donald Trump said, we have a perfectly coordinated and fine-tuned plan at the White House for our attack on coronavirus. The fake news media is doing everything possible to make us look bad. Sad exclamation point. And then he went golfing. They had a perfectly coordinated and fine-tuned plan at the White House for our attack on coronavirus. And then he went golfing. 22 Americans had died then, three months ago. Two months ago, it was April 8th. And by that day, it was no longer 22. It was 14,791. In one month, our death toll jumped from 22 to almost 15,000. And that was the day Donald Trump announced he was going to end FEMA funding for coronavirus testing sites, claiming it was on the states to pick up that tab. Because, you know, remember after after Pearl Harbor and FDR said, it's a date that will live in infamy and you states are on your own. 
Remember after 9-11 and Bush got up there and said, y'all can go after Al-Qaeda any way you want, state by state, I'm invading the wrong country. No, he makes Bush look good. 15,000 dead in one month. So one month later, the 8th of May, there had been 78,000 coronavirus deaths. Think about this scale of growth. Think about all the families that lost a loved one. March 8th, 22. April 8th, 15,000. May 8th, 78,000. And that was the day Trump went on TV and said, I feel about vaccines like I feel about tests. This is going to go away without a vaccine. It's going to go away and we're not going to see it again, hopefully after a period of time. That was the day that he claimed the U.S. was a world leader in responding to the coronavirus. This week was June 8th. It is no longer 78,000. It was up to 113,000 for June 8th. I just, February 8th, 1, March 8th, 22, April 8th, 15,000, May 8th, 78,000, June 8th, 113,000. And he spent the day bragging that he had 96% approval in what remains of the Republican Party. We're going to talk a lot about George Floyd and racism and social justice on this podcast in the next couple of weeks, but we can't forget the pandemic. June is the month of wait and see. And we can't forget that Trump lied when he said the number of Americans infected with coronavirus was declining while the health officials were telling him in the public the truth. He lied when he said there were enough coronavirus tests for every American. Even when Mike Pence said that wasn't true, he lied when he blamed the shortage of tests on Barack Obama. He lied when he compared a year's worth of influenza deaths to two months worth of coronavirus deaths to try to mislead you about how severe this disease was. Obama never said it was a Republican hoax. He never held back unnecessary testing for H1N1 for the sake of his reelection. Obama never made ignorant statements and blatant lies regarding opening things up by Easter in the middle of a pandemic. Obama created the CDC pandemic response team. Trump took it apart. Don't forget. All right. Um, well, now that we're all uh, uh, in that place, I'm going to save the funny stuff for afterwards because um, we have a little interview here. But afterwards, I just want to talk briefly about this recession and why it is not the coronavirus recession. It is the Trump tax cut recession. It began before the market crashes. It began before we went underground. But first, we have a special treat for you guys. Maybe you listen to the Bob Seska podcast on the Stephanie Miller Network because you have good taste and you're smart. Well, Bob is one of the smartest, uh, funniest, most uh, good-hearted players in the game. He's also so attractive, it's a bit rude. And Bob Seska has done so many great interviews, but I had never interviewed him. So we sat down ostensibly to talk about, the, you know, COVID and Trump and Biden and everything. But I also wanted to know about his life and how being raised in the D.C. area by conservative parents really shaped the kind of compassionate man he grew up to be. Because his parents may have been conservative, but they really did a great job. Uh, like so many conservative parents who raise kids that are so excellent, they become liberal. I really hope you enjoy. I hope you subscribe to the Bob Seska show on this podcast network and that you read his stuff at the Daily Banter and Salon. I give you Mr. Seska. You're meeting your date in 10 minutes. Glancing in the mirror, you notice your wrinkles and large under eye bags. You rummage through your bag thinking, where's your secret weapon? And there it is. Plexiderm. You apply the clear serum under your eyes and boom, two minutes later, you start seeing the under eye bags and wrinkles disappearing in front of your eyes. You'll look years younger. 
Plexiderm is the clinically studied serum that visibly eliminates your wrinkles, crow's feet, and under eye bags in minutes. It's the Valentine's Day gift you give yourself. Go to triplexiderm.com and enter Voices for 50% off plus an extra 10 bucks off. Again, enter Voices at triplexiderm.com to get 50% off plus an extra 10 bucks off. This offer is also available by calling 1-800-685-1292 and mention code VOICES. Plexiderm is backed by a 90-day money-back guarantee, so to get our special discount, enter Voices at triplexiderm.com. Bob Seska, what a pleasure to finally have you on the Sanity Cast. Thank you so much. Oh, this is huge, John. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Um, so breaking news, before we dive into the big stuff, you're working on a piece right now that's going up on Salon, and um, we're recording this conversation on the day that Bill Barr has announced that they're not going to criminally investigate Barack Obama or Joe Biden on the grounds that neither of them broke any laws. Right. Um, what was your thought when you actually heard Bill Barr forced to admit this? Well, you know, my immediate reaction was, uh, I guess that's good news, but it doesn't really matter. Because uh, as we've learned from many, many past Republican investigations into Barack Obama, into Hillary Clinton and so on, they don't need actual investigation. They don't need actual crimes. All they need to do is uh, have the patina of impropriety. That's all Donald Trump requires. You know, you just say, look at look at the Bidens, look at Hillary, look at the emails. It's just look at, look at, look at. That's what he does. He just stands out there in front of Marine One with that awful sound whirring around in the background screaming his ass off saying well you got to look at shifty shift look at nancy pelosi and the do-nothing democrats look at this see they're doing something wrong you don't understand what it is and i don't know what it is either but it's wrong and of course all of his uh fanboys and disciples go yes wrong totally yeah it's yeah, incredible that's how it's it works. because you know every time one of these things happens like bill barr clears Barack Obama and Joe Biden, or a few months ago when they cleared Hillary Clinton on the emails, um, or, you know, when we see the Republican committees repeatedly say Obama's White House did nothing wrong in Benghazi. That was six different investigations. Or last week, or two weeks ago now, when we saw the uh, Standard Intel Committee say that, yes, Russia did, in fact, hack our election. And um, to help Trump win, to help help Trump Trump win. win. Yeah. And Fox News viewers never get this information. They get the quotes from Trump. They get the quotes from Kellyanne. They get the quotes from Jim Jim Jordan. They never get the facts. So when you sit down and try to debate with a lot of our Trump-loving friends and colleagues and loved ones, very often they just don't know any of this stuff. They don't know that these people have been cleared. That's right, because the priority is winning, John. They're all about winning, and it doesn't matter what the means happens to be. They're all about the end. As long as they can get the electoral votes, as long as they can get the majorities in whatever chamber they're shooting for, uh, House or Senate, what have you, governors, uh, local elections, doesn't matter. As long as they're winning at the end of the day, how they get there is kind of irrelevant. I mean, they don't care whether they're falsely accusing people or making things up or uh, not in any way tethered to factual reality. None of that matters. Factual reality is irrelevant. It doesn't matter. So, Winning matters. You're right. Yeah, exactly. Because, I mean, we're now in a, a new paradigm for American politics. It's really no longer about uh, left versus right. It's all about reality versus fiction, right? It's it's whether or not reality can overcome the power, the unbridled power of fiction. And as we see in, for example, the film industry, 
what are the movies that get uh, the, the highest box office receipts? Usually the big fantasy movies, the big blockbuster films, not the documentaries, right? So it's the same thing in politics. The things that get religion the attention. Religion too, Bob. Religion too. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So now it's the same kind of thing. And, and Donald Trump has weaponized fiction. It's an amazing thing to observe and amazing in all the worst ways. Um, on top of that, what they've also decided to do, and this is Steve Bannon's influence, his supremely cynical influence on American politics and the Trump administration, which is to not only deal in fantasy, but to, in fact, flood the zone with fantasy. So we yes. can't keep up with it. The news media can't keep up with it. The print press can't keep up with it, even with the rapid fire pace of social media Twitter, Facebook, and so on. Even that can't really keep up with this. Uh, as Stephanie Miller calls it the fire hose of news, the the tennis ball machine. It continues to fire around the clock. And quite honestly, I mean, I had to. I started out my salon piece for this week, reminding everybody, "Hey, remember Donald Trump got impeached? He got impeached, and not only impeached, but impeached for trying to cheat in this election that we're in right now." Yes. That's ultimately what it came down to. He was trying to undermine the Joe Biden campaign because he saw what the polls looked like a year ago and was freaked out. So he said, well, here's what we can do. We can extort Ukraine for military aid and get them to announce investigations. And it doesn't matter if there's an actual investigation, as long as he says there's one. So then I can stand out in front of Marine One with that sound going on in the background and go, Look at, look at, you, you, Ukraine said they're announcing investigations into Biden. Look at Hunter Biden. Look at him. Look at, look at, look at. Don't look at me. Look at them. And then, yes. and that's the, that's the key to the game. That's the whole ball game. That's what's happening with the Justice Department and the Durham probe right now. And Bill Barr, it's all look at, look at, look at. There's no substance there whatsoever. But, you know, what disturbs me even more is that that's the game, but they know there's a good solid 60 million Americans who are somewhat aware that they're being lying, to, mm -hmm. that they're being lied to, but yeah. they don't care. I mean, uh, at this point, Bob, my go to question when one of these Trump guys confronts me, I always just I start off with where was Barack Obama born? I'll just yeah. begin with that's my baseline lies, racism. Like, let's begin now. Uh, I, I, even, I even today I was debating some troll and I said, I'll give you a hint. It's Hawaii. Where was Barack Obama born? And he could not answer the question because <laughs> answering the question is admitting that mm. Donald Trump spread a racist lie about the first black president for years with zero evidence. So they'll call you a pussy. They'll call you names, but they can't answer the simple question. And then it gets to, you know, the, the, the questions of why didn't that lie bother you? Mm. Why didn't that racist smear bother you do you understand that he's never accused a white person of not being born here and I, I find that time and time again when i've tried to just walk through steps very basically um i'm greeted with rage because they can't argue in good faith because we do have an anti-reality bias in this country and i never thought like i thought we'd be I've spent all these years of my life, Bob, wasting time learning history and facts and stats and, and, and arguments and morals. And now we're debating over whether the sky is blue. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I have this theory, and again, I'm still trying to dig to the nut of it, but I have this theory that the reason for that rage that you're witnessing, John, is because there there's so many contradictions ramming up against each other in their heads, just slamming, where... Um, 
on one hand, they're going, okay, um, Donald Trump, yes, we know Donald Trump lies a lot. Yes, he's a liar, but he's our liar. Yes, exactly. And then on the, on the other hand, they're going, Donald Trump's the only one telling the truth. <laughs> Donald Trump's the only man in American politics who tells the truth. And so Donald Trump is a liar. Donald Trump tells the truth. These are two conflicting ideas that are constantly bashing up against each other inside their teeny tiny walnut brains. Yep. And and as a consequence of that, lots of anger, lots of like, oh, yeah. bah, I don't know. I, how do I reconcile these things? I don't know. Bah, I'm going to go out and protest and yell with my guns. And uh, and that's what we see. That's what we see. This acting out all the time, You're whether right. it's someone calling your show, John, or. Uh, in, in the protests outside, uh, you know, Gretchen Whitmer's office yeah. uh, and what have you. It's, it's again, it's that I don't know what to think. It's like the cogs in their head are grinding to a screeching halt because of these two things. They just don't square. He's a liar. I mean, oh, he's yeah. not a liar. I don't know. I understand, he- like, I understand religious fundamentalism really well. And even though my parents were never anti-science or anti-gay or anything like that as a kid, I felt very threatened by anything that suggested the Christian programming I have been given wasn't 100% true. So if you're ingesting Hannity and Fox News and right-wing radio all day, that is your absolute truth. And when someone challenges it, you're sort of like me as a child. I don't know how to respond to your argument because it scares me, so I will just hate you. And it happens. I find myself constantly, Bob, just saying to people, do you know how much Trump had to pay for defrauding Americans, stealing from Americans, including vets, with a scam online university. Do you know why Donald Trump is not allowed to run a charity anymore? Because he stole from people with his scam foundation. And they reject it. They reject Mm -hmm. the information. Where's your sources, asshole? I say, Google, you shouldn't believe me. You should check it yourself right now. But we have a a sizable chunk of our population, Bob, up to to 60% of us that are just beyond reason. And it's one thing if it's your religious conviction and you're not bothering anybody, but this is just insane. And there now is a right-wing media infrastructure to keep these people insulated from facts. Yeah, it's almost as if, um, and you can speak to this way better than I can, John, it's almost as if the techniques that have been employed over the last several decades by televangelists yep. uh, have been recycled and and integrated into Republican orthodoxy, Republican political you're strategy. So right media strategy for the conservative movement where they really they're really relying on that leap of faith from their uh, disciples and i use that word intentionally disciples because they really feel as if well if they're willing to believe x y and z about televangelists whatever televangelists x y and z is saying then we can get them to believe almost literally anything. As long as we're hammering the right way and we're as long as we're, uh, you know, on the right platforms and saying the right things, they're going to believe those things as much as they believe that uh, uh, Jesus Christ, uh, you know, was against same sex marriage, even though in the ancient times there literally was no concept of same sex marriage to be banned. So, oh, so yeah, and by the way, not believe it. Not to bore you, but the 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 passage they use all the time to say that he was against same sex marriage, Matthew nineteen. Yeah. It's really Jesus coming out against straight divorce, and these people love Trump, and it's the same mm-hmm. passage where Jesus says gay men are born that way. It really is, but that's a whole other conversation. Uh, I, but to your point, Bob, let us consider the case of one Eric Trump. Um, Eric Trump is the Trump who exists 
uh, Eric Trump is the reason Don Jr. thinks himself to be the smart one. And Eric Trump <laughs> went on Judge Jeanine's show, and I've been on Judge Jeanine's show, for, you know, um, but he, he went on her show the other night and just pretty much um, tells lies and is not held accountable for it. He did it the same day his brother called Joe Biden a pedophile in a tweet. Now, ordinarily, if Sasha or Malia Obama or Chelsea Clinton or one of the Bush girls called their dad's political opponent a pedophile, it would be national news for at least a day. Yeah. It was it barely made a ripple. But I'm curious, what was your take on poor, tragic young Eric? Um, and again, you know, his statements this weekend on Judge Janine. Well, uh, I, I don't take anything he says seriously, uh, and, nor, and nor, do I think any, nor do I think anyone does really any, any normal, I think, uh, any one of us, uh, who are observing Eric Trump from day to day know that he is just a, a colossal idiot. And, but even beyond that, um, they are dealing in such glaring inconsistencies all the time. We are in a post-consistency era where someone like Junior can refer to Joe Biden as a pedophile. And we can have a million GIFs and images and videos of Donald Trump groping women. Or there's one going around today. There's an animated GIF of Trump trying to kiss this little girl that he's holding while doing one of his rallies. And she's turning her head and he's trying to kiss her on the mouth, which is really gross. And uh, but none of that matters anymore. As long as see the, the entire strategy is, in fact, Moneyball, all they need to do is to focus on those little slivers of uh, voting blocks, you know, even down to the precinct level. All they need is to move the needle in certain areas just enough to get them over the finish line. Donald Trump doesn't need to win, you know, like a 1984 type victory with, you know, 49 states. He doesn't need that. All he needs to get over the top is exactly what he did in 2016. And so the way he does that is by throwing in those little bombs like that, like, oh, right. Joe Biden, pedophile. And so you have to imagine someone who doesn't follow politics the way we do, John, um, with our faces pressed up against our computer screens 24-7 following the misadventures and escapades of Donald Trump. Most people are only hearing about this stuff in passing. They either hear um, a late-night uh, talk show host mention it in a monologue, or they may only hear in passing something on Facebook that they just glance at for a moment, not grasping the whole thing. And all they need to see is Joe Biden and pedophile and that's going to maybe turn the needle enough to get half a percentage point in yes. Wisconsin or half yeah. a percentage point in Michigan. That's right. all it takes to get to some disaffected contrarian voter walking into the voting booth or a group of them to say, uh, you know what? <clears throat> There's this pedophile thing with Biden. Maybe I'll go with this other third party candidate. At least I'm not voting for Trump. And that's uh, the rationalization. Right. You know, you're so right. Remember that great line in uh, in Wag the Dog? Um, written by Mamet, who where, where De Niro tells Dustin Hoffman the story of the politician running for office trying to spread a rumor that there was a video of his opponent having sex with a goat. And they said, but but what happens when they find out that there is no video? And he goes, oh, I don't care. I just want to hear him deny it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And as much of a novice as Donald Trump is with politics, and he likes to claim, I'm not a politician. I'm a businessman. Uh, I, I was on TV. I'm not a politician. I'm not a politician. 
he really plays this game in uh, an effective way and effective in the worst ways possible, in the most cynical ways possible. It's really the influence of Steve Bannon, ultimately. Uh, well, I think Trump was like this. I think it's the influence of Roy Cohn beforehand, yeah. I, I think. Oh, I mean, yeah. oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, the, the Eric Trump thing, I, 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 I loved your thoughts on it because it was so beyond egregious that he was there saying that the Democrats are milking this. Never mind the fact that, you know, Democrats are dying, too, and, but saying that because we can't have any rallies. And it's like Joe Biden can't have any rallies like like no one can have rallies. But I, I thought of this today because now they've they've got their name for their campaign. Uh, truth over facts like they've literally given their their war on facts a name. And, and it's an investigative website called Truth Over Facts. I understand that concept. I'm fond of saying the Bible. There's a lot of truth in the Bible, not a lot of facts. But like, I, I guess I'm just reaching a point where we're realizing that, wait a second, we've been waiting for the grownups in the room to show up. And it turns out, oh, we're the grownups in the room standing around waiting. I mean, what, <laughs> yeah. like, like, what do people do? And I, I, was, I was actually wondering, what was it that started you down this path of political reporting and advocacy and of being a person who tries to tell the truth in a very entertaining way. It's what I aspire to do. But uh, did your, say, growing up in, in D.C. and in Virginia in any way inform your passion for politics and your passion for calling out liars? Oh, God, yeah, yeah. That was a huge influence on me, just being in close proximity to Washington, D.C. I was born in Washington, D.C., in fact. Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, my dad, uh, and, and in fact, my mom, my parents met while they were both working at uh, the IRS. <laughs> That's my connection to the Internal Revenue Service. My parents were working there when they got married and, and had me. And so um, I was always intrigued by what my dad did and where he went every day to, to go to work. And eventually he rose up to be the um, acting inspector general of the entire Treasury Department. And we've been seeing IGs in the news a lot lately, or especially over the past couple of years. And uh, and so he was in that role and he had an office that looked right out onto the White House lawn, right where Marine One lands to this day. He could see it from his office. And in fact, he wow. would always tell a story about one of his colleagues coming in and they had these in the Treasury building. They have these really high windows, the old old timey windows that go all the way up to the ceiling and they're high ceilings. So you have these wooden rods that they use to pull the windows up and down from a, a distance. You can't reach it. And so uh, one day they're standing there and his buddy, his friend, uh, his colleague standing there with one of those rods at the window as they're watching Reagan landing in Marine One. And then suddenly out of nowhere, an entire squad of Secret Service agents barge into the room and grab <laughs> my dad's colleague with the wooden rod for the windows, thinking it was a rifle and that he was about ready to take a shot at Ronald Reagan. And of course, it was just the... Uh, whatever it was that they used to open and close the windows. But that's how close wow. that he, his office was to the White House. And so consequently, I've always been intrigued by it. Um, I remember in fourth grade, I, I, I think I drew my first political cartoon <laughs> in, in fourth grade, which was a, uh, a cartoon about the 1980 election and the existence of the Ayatollah. Uh, who in my cartoon was wearing a Carter for president button. And the caption said, well, because Reagan scares me. And that was my first little cartoon. And so since then, I've always been intrigued by it. I, I really became interested in politics again when I was in high school and I started writing for the uh, the high school newspaper. 
And so we would have these political debates and everything like that. At the time, I was a Republican. I was a... <laughs> I didn't right. know anything. So granted, I didn't know a damn thing about politics. At sure, that point. that's understandable. Were your parents Republicans? Um, they were conservative-ish. My dad is a Trump supporter now. Um, my mom is a Democrat now. Uh, but at the time, you know, it was interesting because they were both government employees, or at least they started out as government. When my dad was always a government employee, my mom left to raise kids, but they always maintained that government employees shouldn't be talking about politics kind of uh, attitude, which uh, I would always try to dig it out of. Like, Who'd you vote for? Who'd you vote for, mom? I can't tell you. It's my it's a it's my vote. I'm not going to tell you who I voted for. And I think that was out of uh, maybe that. Uh, I forget the name of the law, the law that prevents government employees from engaging in political. But it's, I'm your kid. You can tell me. Uh, <laughs> but they, they never would. I assume that they were. Well, I was raised Catholic, so we were pretty hardcore so Catholics. Yeah, I mean, yeah. so was I. We were the most Catholic. I mean, we were the most Catholic kids in my neighborhood and yet the most liberal kids as well. I mean, I was the only yeah. kid who went to church every Sunday and every holy day, said grace before every meal. Mm -hmm. And I was the only kid whose parents voted against Reagan. And my parents never belonged to a political party. But as a child, it was very confusing to me, that kind of uh, incongruousness, you know? Right, right, right. Until I got well, older, I realized, oh, that's actually consistent. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so I, I actually became more and more engaged in politics through college, obviously. And that's where it was, you know, the typical story. I became a liberal when I went to college and was no longer under that roof of, you know, small C conservative Catholic upbringing. And uh, but I, I kind of strayed away from politics for a while because I started doing uh, radio and cartoons and it was much more. Uh, for lack of a better term, much more secular. There was no politics intertwined in what I was doing uh, until the 2000 election. Uh, when that fiasco happened, that re-engaged me in political writing and activism to an extent. I'm no longer really an activist. I just consider myself more of a writer. But nevertheless, it was enough to trigger uh, my interest in politics again. And that's how it kind of got started. Right on. I understand. When was it that you began to evolve your thinking and become the, uh, you know, godless baby killing pornographer you are now? <laughs> you know, I, I trace it back to really my first semester of college. I went to a, a small university in Pennsylvania called Kutztown uh, University. And uh, I had it was just a, an eye opening experience for me. It was absolutely one of those great experiences. I, I just really I feel like I hit my proper idiom when I got to college. And uh, I had a couple of professors who were very influential. They weren't outwardly liberal, but just the practice of learning things, knowing things beyond what was in high school or beyond what you know I experienced at home was uh, extraordinarily eye-opening. And so it was and not, it, I don't want to say it was an overnight thing because anyone who says that they changed from a conservative to a liberal overnight is probably lying. Right. See also Candace Owens and some of those people. Yeah. Um, but for me, it was uh, a longer evolution, maybe over the course of a year or so, as I was, because it was important, I think, for a lot of people, especially who are transitioning uh, from one political environment to another. It's important that they save face along the way. It's important that they feel like it's natural to them. 
And yeah. that, at least that's the way I felt. I didn't want anyone telling me that I need to believe certain things. I wanted to come to them naturally by an examination of the facts. And that's kind of how I approached everything. And in fact, that's how I still approach things. I, I don't consider myself an ideologue by any stretch. And that kind of makes of me unpo unpopular in some liberal circles. Uh, but for the most part, I really try to make my choices and, and, and guide my point of view based on my own legitimate evaluation of what I'm reading. And I'm sure you can relate to that too, John. I think you're very I much can. the same way. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, yeah, that's one of the reasons, like, like my parents, I guess. I've yeah. never joined a political party because I've never <laughs> seen any reason to, but I pretty consistently vote a certain way. But uh, so I guess there is a certain level of social reproduction there, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, a fascinating process and one that I think gets thrown around willy nilly these days. I think there are a lot of people who are just deciding to change affiliations or change ideas simply based on, um, and this is me getting really cynical, based on um, social media branding. W what is most uh, applicable to gaining a larger following on social media? So, you know, I see people all the time, you know, <laughs> saying, oh, you know what? I'm not, you know, I'm not really with that group anymore. I'm with this other group. And it, it's a, one of these overnight transitions. And you just kind of have to scratch your head and go, are you saying that because you've noticed that you can get more followers on Twitter? Or are you saying that because you, your values genuinely changed sometime in the eight hours between you went to bed last night and woke up this morning? Which is it? <laughs> and usually... It's that they have made a conscious choice. In fact, I, you know, I witness this in radio all the time. I spent a, a good number of years in broadcast radio, and it was in the 90s where uh, guy talk radio or shock jock radio was kind of losing its steam to an, mm -hmm. to an extent. It was, it was actually around 2004 with the Janet Jackson nipple slip where, certain, where radio kind of changed in terms of its yeah. content. And I noticed a lot of people when talk radio on FM became no longer viable for them, whether it was doing a morning show or, or an all talk format, like you would see Don and Mike or Howard Stern or a lot of these broadcasters. Instead, what happened was that kind of went away and you saw a lot of like local morning DJs go, how do I how do I make a living doing this anymore? I guess I'll become a conservative and do a conservative AM radio talk show. And oh, my God. The number of, of, of like morning zoo jocks that I knew back in the day did exactly that. They made a choice. They made a career decision rather than one that was informed by their values. And uh, again, that is I think that's one of the reasons why our political discourse has disintegrated to the point where it is now, because you have a lot of people getting into this for the absolute wrong reasons. You know, whether it's a, a career choice or whether it's, you know, social media or what have you, it just seems uh, like uh, one of those things that uh, they're, they're not really considering the ramifications of. They're just making a choice based on what's best for them personally, which is strange with values. It should be more substantive than that, you know. I think so, too. But at the same time, we are not rewarded for having substantive values and discussions in this country. <laughs> that, too much. That's I mean, true, too. You know, like if I didn't have to do the dick jokes, my life would probably be a lot easier. But you got to <laughs> you, you have you get a lot farther with the truth and a dick joke than you get with just the truth. And yeah, you get yeah. a lot farther with obviously a lie that sounds good to a lazy, mean white person. 
than you get with the truth and a good dick joke. I mean, you know, I was thinking about you had this great tweet because Chris Saliza uh, had a tweet about how oh Trump God. might be an unlikable jerk, but he's one that gets stuff done. And yeah. your, your response was great. You wrote, get stuff done, like destroying the American Republic while routinely criminalizing your network and colleagues as enemies of the people. Chris, endangering lives and threatening a, the free press clause. How do you sleep at night? I mean, yeah, it comes back to your original point about just when did reality become so subjective? Yeah, I, I, just, I really feel like in that case with Chris Saliza, the need to have a hot take superseded the need to be factually accurate or reasonable or rational in his assessment. It was more like, ah, shit, I got a deadline. Okay, mm, I need to get some traffic here, too. What's going to get me the most attention? How about this? How about I say that uh, whatever it might be uh, from a day? I mean, today it was, oh, Trump gets things done, even though he's a jerk. Well, yeah, he's not really. Exactly. Chris Eliza clearly is not thinking of the greater good when he's throwing that out there. He's not thinking in terms of, well, people are going to see that and they're going to take that away. They're going to just take the tweet. They're not even going to read the article itself. They're just going to see the tweet and go, hey, I guess that's right. I guess I guess he gets things done. And again, it's not you and me, John. It's not the people we associate with. It's the uh, the noncombatants who are <laughs> who are seeing tweets like that and going, yeah, maybe that's right. I just go with that. That seems <laughs> I mean, you know how many people I know, John, who are like, well, I guess both sides have a point. Mm. And I go, yeah. and that's lazy. And can you sit down yeah. while I explain this to you? Yeah, both sides. I mean, it's like yeah. Obama's birthplace. No, both sides don't have a point. Mm. I mean, you know, Donald Trump and Christianity. No, there's no both sides don't have a point. But right. this gets me down because both sidesism obviously is dangerous. But the media's job the corporate media's job in our world, and I, I, I love lots of the folks who work there, and I've worked at all these channels and always had a good time, but their job is not to inform people. Their yeah. job is essentially what most corporations' job is, to satisfy the shareholders, and they That's must right. do that by getting the highest possible ratings. Yeah. So ratings-based news, I, I think along with the demolition of the fairness uh, the, the Fairness Act is one of the reasons why that Americans are so damn dumb and so proud of their dumbness. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I say this too, John, as someone who makes his living uh, as a political analyst, for lack of a better term. But I think we've got to the point now where it's almost dangerous that uh, American politics and more specifically political scandal, whether real or fabricated, has become a commodity for major media corporations sure and so i wonder if we can ever have a political dialogue in this country that isn't somehow polluted by that i i mean i really believe that that is the biggest danger so you have people like chris saliza just dealing in bullshit hot takes like oh he gets things done well they're horrendous things but at least i'm getting some uh, some hits and some traffic out of it exactly um exactly. it's it's really and that's, true. The media, and, you know, that's the media game they'll never stop chasing the fox demographic even though fox will never watch them but they will mm -hmm. never stop trying to bend over backwards to draw those people in because yeah. the name of the game is casting the widest possible net and, and that's not to say i'm against having conservatives on i love having conservative brothers and sisters on my show mm -hmm. i love having trump supporters on my show if i could ever get them yeah but, well you know but, that's what troubles me because I don't think like I know there's a lot of journalists, a lot of TV journalists, 
who know how corrosive and dishonest and, and what a, a fraud artist Donald Trump is. They don't want to see him be president. They might not love Joe Biden, but they'll take someone who's at least baseline decent human than, than Trump. But what I fear, Bob, is that the real collusion in our society is Donald Trump and the people who own the media. Because I don't think the people who own these channels want to give up their ratings. I don't think the people who own these newspapers want to give up their circulations. Donald Trump is very good for business, and Joe Biden is really boring. That may be one of the only things Donald Trump is right about is, and this is coming from me, this is a big deal, because I don't think he's been right about anything. Let Moonbet said it too, but go ahead. But I mean, one of the things he says quite often is uh, some of these people and he points to the press. Some of these people are worried that if I go away, their ratings are going to go down. And, uh, and you know what? It's not it's not the people who are reporting the news. It's not the cameramen. It's not the people who follow them around uh, in the press pool. It's the people who employ those people who need Donald Trump for ratings and circulation right. and so on. And, and that's I don't know that for a fact, but it seems like uh, that may be a motivation. And again, I'm, I'm hedging a little bit here because uh, again, I, uh, the, from what I've observed, uh, going back to what I was saying before, this is all a commodity. What we're, what we're covering for a living is all a commodity for profit for, you know, networks like CNN, for example. So I always have to wonder whether or not they're genuinely pursuing the news or if they're pursuing the news in a way that is going to maximize their profit margin. And the profit margin is there, just like any corporation. There's the need to make sure they hit their uh, their goals for whatever quarter they're in because right. of uh, golden parachutes and all the rest of it. They need those things. So, uh, but, you know, I, I always look back to a, a conversation I've had with Stephanie Miller a, a few times, which is that, it's something that she's observed over the years that if she had decided at one point to to become a conservative and have a conservative talk show and yep. publish conservative books, yep. she would be making a thousand times more money than she's she making now yeah. that she would have. Yes, that she would be on. And she even says, yeah, I would be on. 500 uh, radio stations right now across the country yes, and around would. the world. In fact, if I That's was. A conservative. And so it's almost as if, you know, when I say politics is a commodity, it might be mainly that conservatism to an extent is a is a commodity because that's where we're really seeing the money as far as uh, the media goes. So I, don't know. I would call it status quoism because I don't think any yeah. I, I don't know what conservatism means anymore, Bob. I think, mm-hmm. you know, I, I was offered early on, would I be a right wing radio host? And I said, well, what do you mean? Like like a, a satire? Like I I play a character like Colbert and it's a put on. Yeah. They said, no, no, just go, just, just go argue the right wing thing. And I was like, no, I can't do that. And then I saw the amount of money. And I mean, I'm someone who, you know, I, I turned down a job on good morning America once because I just, I, I'm a snob. That's it. I, there's no yeah. morality here. I'm just a big old snob. And, and it, it does terrify me to see that going that route, but I, I guess that's why the status quo is the status quo. They're more organized. They got their shit together. And it's why all evolution takes a really, really, really long time. Yeah. Well, and the other thing that helps, uh, whatever you want to call it, Trumpism, conservatism, whatever it doubles for now, is the fact that uh, they're just so very cynical. It just doesn't matter. They know what they're doing. They really don't uh, pretend like they're doing anything else. They know that they're in this 
to profit and they're in this to win elections. And I don't even know if it's in that order. I think it's profit yeah. first, elections, win elections well, second. Same. You have to win. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's the same. I mean, if, if you're not winning the elections, your your people have to be. But yeah, we just found out that, you know, a Trump donor that's a private jet company got $20 million in bailout mm-hmm. money. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, and again, we're being told that it's it's totally safe for your kids to go back to public school, but it's too dangerous to keep Paul Manafort in jail. And people just trust an authority. If Rachel Maddow started lying to her fans, it would take a couple of weeks for people to reject her. But for the first few weeks, most liberals believe her because that's a voice they have come to trust. Yeah, yeah, that's 1000% correct. In fact, I think, uh, especially in recent memory, the left has been much better, uh, far better at self-policing when it comes to our bullshitters, because, you know, we have so many people who are and, and thank God for this. Thank God, thank God there are still adults in the room, uh, rational adults, because at the same time, there are some bullshitters among us. And I'm glad that we're policing them out. I'm glad we're we're weeding them out of the mix because uh, it only ends up undermining our ultimate cause here and you know that includes people like anthony weiner who just uh, embarrass themselves and embarrass the rest of us through their shenanigans so but even, uh, there, whether, even with weiner if i may like not taking anything away from the the awfulness of what weiner did but weiner was the greatest sex scandal in history with yeah. no actual sex You've got a, uh, there was no <laughs> right. i mean if weiner just got a mistress like a normal congressman he would still be serving proudly from new york mm-hmm. city uh so you know but like like it's all a double standard. And I mean, the same people who castigated Bill Clinton's morality are the ones who don't mind President Graham by the pussy, whose own wife accused him of rape in a sworn deposition. Yeah. I, I want to I have just a couple last minute questions for you, Bob, that I, sure. I really want to get to. One of them is what does the word conservative mean in 2020? Because I, I'm struggling. It doesn't mean fiscal responsibility. It doesn't mean family values anymore. It doesn't mean law and order. It doesn't mean Christianity. It doesn't mean work hard, follow the rules and rise to the top. What does it doesn't mean the American worker first. It doesn't mean American troops first. What does conservatism mean now? Owning the libs. I think it's it's really about owning the libs now. It is entirely driven toward we're going to say anything we need to say to piss those people off because we don't like those people with their Black Lives Matter and their same sex bathrooms or whatever fiction they're developing uh, from moment to moment. That's all that drives them now. They don't want to be they feel as if their uh, 1950s utopia is systematically being stripped from them. Uh, to an extent where but if yeah. you ask them what you know if you ask them specifics about the 1950s for example the 90 percent tax bracket that's for, right for the many examples or the socialism uh, the gi bill the interstate highway program i mean the republican party strongly supporting labor unions i could go on oh yeah yeah so i mean as long as they're pissing off uh liberal activists as long as they're infuriating the quote-unquote sjw's that, I mean, that's their perception now. Their their perception is the entire Democratic Party, the liberal movement, the progressive movement. It's all about you know, telling stand up comics what they can and can't say, and then um, trying to get uh, trying to force you know bakers to make uh, cakes for gay weddings. It's just right. the the little fictions that they develop around the left, around the Democratic Party. That's what drives them. And and so as long as they're continuing to produce that fiction, uh, the people that follow them are going to continue to uh, eat it up with a spoon. 
Okay. Also, what are the three most perfect albums ever made? <laughs> well, let's see. Um, you know, I wrote them down. Uh, yeah, I have your another, list. I, like, so yeah, I can yeah, share look, them with you. I have your list in front of me if you want. But yeah, yeah, these are these are uh, bands and albums that I haven't mentioned in lists before. So um, oh, okay, I, I've taken out like my. 10 favorite bands out of the mix. Like I would go with, I don't know. Yes. Is close to the edge. Russia's moving pictures and Octung baby by you too. Those are probably oh, if, perfect, if yeah. forced to ask. Yeah. Um, but I mean, as far as my non favorite band, just bands that I really, really like, um, I would say zero seven simple things is a wonderful, wonderful album from start to finish. It's genius. Some of Sia's best work is on that album. I agree. I totally agree. Yeah, and then um, there's a little-known progressive band called Magenta, and they did an album uh, some time ago called Metamorphosis that's basically two 20-minute songs, uh, you know, intermixed with two 10-minute songs. So it's a four-song album, but it's just so great, so perfect. And then uh, an, an album, certainly, that you and I can agree on, The Traveling Wilburys, Volume 1, is one of the greatest albums yeah, ever pretty, recorded, 20th perfect, century. Right irrespective of genre irrespective of era just a wonderful album from start to finish everything is perfect on that album so no beatles on your list huh no beatles albums it's okay it's okay it's okay not for everybody like i would because i would say revolver is probably pretty close to perfect i mean even the songs yes. that aren't great are there for a reason to balance out the great songs because the songs that aren't great are so sonically adventurous it balances it all out Oh, oh God. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and just because I'm naming these bands doesn't mean I'm saying the other bands that I'm not naming are, are terrible. Inspired. I certainly, certainly wouldn't say that about your Beatles. Tom Petty's no. Full Moon Fever. There's every song on that album could have been a single. Like that's one of my standards. If every song on a record could have been a single, it's, it's pretty close yeah. to a perfect record. Oh yeah. Yeah. There are so many, um, Russia's power windows. I, I could basically name any rush album because <laughs> I, I, I am to rush what you are to the Beatles. I am just an <laughs> endless, uh, rush super fan. So, well, before I let you go, then my final question, um, what are you optimistic about Bob Seska at this point, mid pandemic in 2020? Well, yeah, that's a really good question. Shit. Um, I, I hate to say it. I'm, I'm not a whole, I'm not optimistic about a whole lot. I am somewhat optimistic about the outcome of the election though. And, and bear in mind that I'm the don't, don't get happy guy. I want to make sure that we're not getting too complacent and looking at too many polls and going, ah, we got this. Don't worry about it. We don't have to vote. Um, but at the same time, I feel like I, I just, I can't imagine Trump overcoming everything that he has to overcome in time for November 3rd. It just seems like an impossibility for him uh, to get reelected. And again, um, I, I, I it depends. You know, you've asked me on a good day. <laughs> if you were to ask me probably tomorrow, I would be like, ah, we're all screwed. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but uh, at least for right now, I feel like, well, things are looking pretty good for November. They, you know what? And ultimately, John, they have to look good. They, I mean, Joe Biden has to win in November. J Donald Trump has to lose in November. It's not about will he or won't he. He just has to. Otherwise, I don't know what we're going to look like by 2024. I Probably agree. some sort of Putin-style dictatorship. That's my uh, big worry. 
Um, Bob Seska, thank you very much for joining us. Everyone should already be subscribing to your podcast, so I'm not going to tell anyone that they need to do that. But it's a pleasure to hear your voice. Thank you for doing what you do, and thank you for doing it with such clarity, wit, and a love of people and facts. It's really appreciated. You are my comedy and political hero, John. Thank you so Uh, much. Thank you for your very low standards, Bob. meeting your date in 10 minutes. Glancing in the mirror, you notice your wrinkles and large under-eye bags. You rummage through your bag thinking, where's your secret weapon? And there it is, Plexiderm. You apply the clear serum under your eyes and boom, two minutes later, you start seeing the under-eye bags and wrinkles disappearing in front of your eyes. You'll look years younger. Plexiderm is the clinically studied serum that visibly eliminates your wrinkles, crow's feet, and under-eye bags in minutes. It's the Valentine's Day gift you give yourself. Go to TriPlexiderm.com and enter Voices for 50% off plus an extra 10 bucks off. Again, enter Voices at TriPlexiderm.com to get 50% off plus an extra 10 bucks off. This offer is also available by calling 1-800-685-1292 and mention code VOICES. Plexiderm is backed by a 90-day money-back guarantee, so to get our special discount, enter Voices at triplexiderm.com. Thank you, Bob Seska. And I should also thank uh, Charmian and uh, Little Henry and Mimi, the uh, never quiet yipping dog for uh, special cameos outside my door during that. I mean, good God. Okay, guys, the U.S. is in a recession. You know this by now. The Obama economic expansion which Donald Trump's fat ass has ridden as he watches Fox News, consumes hamburgers, and doesn't know how to use apostrophes on Twitter for three years, is over. I've said this before, but anytime someone tries to say this is Trump's economy, you know, and Trump is doing it himself, I created the greatest economy in history, and I'll do it again. And I'm I'm like, okay, bro, uh, how are you going to get Barack Obama to do the first 95% for you? Because that's what happened, okay? Uh, Barack Obama cut the unemployment rate in half, the black and Latino unemployment rate in half. Under Donald Trump, those trends continued a little bit more. He takes credit for a black man's work. Mediocre white man takes credit for a smart black man's work, blah, blah, blah. Now, yes, my true liberals, my Bernie fans, I know it wasn't a real recovery. And I know Obama wasn't a true liberal. Compared to the GOP, he is, but I get it. The stimulus should have been much more. He should have taxed the rich much more. He did what he could. Obamacare should have gone much farther. I agree with everything you say. But Obama gets credit for the recovery, the longest recovery in American history, 128 months, about 10 and a half years. And it ended before lockdown. This is going to be so crucial. And it's not going to make a difference to Trump supporters because they don't care about facts. But it's going to make a difference for people in the middle. They need to know this. Um, The states began shutting down non-essential businesses mid-March to contain the virus, right? About 30% of all economic activity got shut down and tens of millions of Americans got out of work. The point is uh, the, the, the National Bureau of Economic Research, the ones who keep tabs on all of this, they called the recession about three months after it began. Uh, it was the fastest determination since the recession in 1980. Normally it's like nine months to a year before they call it, but they called it for February. Maybe it's the same reason the Marine Corps outlawed the Confederate flag this month because they're fed up with fucking Trump and they just want to move this thing along. But the fact is it wasn't the coronavirus that began this economic decline. It was the tax cut in December of 2017 that began it. And don't 
Forget it. I posted on Twitter all these pictures of those smug, smiling Republicans laughing and laughing, laughing and clowning with Trump. You know why they were laughing and clowning? Because they knew what Trump didn't know. And it's the same thing George W. Bush didn't know, that once this figurehead president, this rich kid with no appreciation of his own privilege, this rich, illiterate fucker who supported Vietnam, but avoided going so other men would go in his place and never apologized for it, who caused so much suffering with his ignorance and his tax cuts for rich people, those Republicans laughing and clowning with Trump in December 2017 Rose Garden ceremony, they knew that when Trump leaves office, he will take full blame for this recession like Bush before him. But the architects of it, the enablers of it, they'll still be in power. Everybody blamed Bush for that recession. Everybody blamed Bush as well they should. But the GOP stayed in power. Mitch McConnell stayed in power. Even Paul Ryan stayed in power for a little while longer. And he's still a media figure instead of being hounded out of public view. And it's the same with Trump. Trump will take the fall for this and those evil fuckers will still be there. But they've confirmed it. It began in February, the longest period of economic expansion ever. And here's another good one for your uncle racist. When they try to say Donald Trump made the greatest economy, ask them what he did. What did he do? Please name one Obama economic trend that Trump reversed instead of continuing and taking credit for. Try to memorize that sentence. It'll make your arguments a lot easier with your uncle racist. Please Name which Obama economic trends Trump reversed instead of just continuing and taking credit for. I mean, this is all very obvious that this recession started a few months ago, but it's huge news. Before the lockdown and stay-at-home orders, this is Trump's recession. It took him three years to destroy Obama's growth. It began in February. That's when the Trump recession began. Thank you, Barack Obama and Joe Biden and that whole team for all you did. But the GOP tax scam failed. Now, when Bush and Cheney did this, we liberals warned you all, Uncle Racist. We warned you this trickle-down Reaganomics, giving all this money to the rich and waiting for the rich to spread the wealth. It never happens. The rich invest it. Wall Street does great. 85% of Americans don't have stocks. Trickle-down doesn't help them. But they're never going to care. I mean, now, of course, now that we're in a recession, we can start hearing the Republicans uh, scream about entitlement reform, right? Now their owners, their donors have gotten all the money. So now they can start saying we're giving way too much to the poor and we have to do entitlement reform. And entitlement reform sounds much better than here, Nana, have some more cat food. But man, just wait. The week after Joe Biden is sworn in, imagine how Lindsey Graham will be screaming about out of control deficits. And I mean, screaming from wherever he is, because he won't be in the Senate anymore. Ooh, Lindsey Graham, did you guys read about the male escorts? Did you read about the male escorts and Lady G? Wow. All I can say is, uh, <laughs> yeah, um, here, here's my thoughts on that. Uh, I don't really mind that Lady G was renting uh, pricey guys. I mind the pricey guys who've been renting Lady G, because she a hoe. Don't forget, these men are escorts, but Lady G is a hoe. And I'm proud to live in a country where the president is the most amoral public figure we have, but gay male prostitutes are doing the Lord's work. And here's some good news too. Guess what? Remember when Donald Trump, because he's a racist, called all those African countries, shithole countries? Um, they're handling the coronavirus better than us. Donald Trump called them shithole countries, and Rex Tillerson 
had to go on the road on an apology tour to smooth it over. That's where he was on the road when he got fired. So the coronavirus didn't hit the wealthy countries first, but it did hit them hard. We know that. Four out of five global COVID-19 deaths have occurred in the global north, most developed nations, the UK, uh, the US, Italy, Spain, France, have just 7.5% of the world's population, but two-thirds of the coronavirus death toll. America's still number one. And according to the most recent data, Donald Trump would like probably not to know this, but the shithole countries have handled the pandemic far better than we have because the leaders in developing countries listen to the experts and they locked down and they put rigid guidelines for social distancing in place and they tested people. They supported hospitals as best as they could financially. They didn't tell the governors and regional mayors they're on their own. And by doing this, they prevented thousands upon thousands of deaths, just like the responsible Americans prevented thousands and thousands of deaths. When Trump in January was saying that the cases would soon be at zero, Senegal was closing their borders, really closing them. Trump never did that. Uh, Senegal did contact tracing and committed to provide a hospital bed for every COVID-19 patient. Guess what? Senegal had 47 deaths. Pennsylvania has the same population as Senegal. They had 5,931 deaths. Here's another shithole country, Ghana. Those brilliant people who are more moral and smart than our president, they followed the WHO recommendations and, and did the most testing they could within their capacity. And within weeks, Ghana had tested more people than America had tested in the first two months. And Haiti, the cases are going up in Haiti. And I'm going to talk about Haiti uh, on a future episode because I just spent my 10-year anniversary of um, my trip to Haiti after the quake to perform for the troops. And it was truly something that changed my life. And I've never written about it. I'm going to talk about it here soon. Um, it features soldiers. It features child prostitutes. It features Sean Penn. But Haiti's an amazing place. And Haiti is a beating heart. And they have a population of over 11 million people. And believe me, they have the grace to withstand an earthquake that would make us resort to cannibalism. But 11 million people had only 3,000 active cases and fewer deaths per capita from the virus than any of the nine American states with similar populations. So here's the deal. According to the World Bank, the countries that Donald Trump called shitholes make up 85% of the global population, but just 21% of coronavirus deaths. The U.S. is less than 5% of the global population, yet has 25% of the deaths worldwide. Stop making stupid liars president. <sighs> Here in New York, it's very scary. There, we're, we're reopening. Um, 21,844 city residents have died. More than that by now. 204,000 plus cases confirmed. We're still far from over. New York is experiencing what they call moderate transmission. Hundreds of new cases are still being diagnosed each day. But at the height of this thing, I mean, if y'all remember March and April, more than 800 New Yorkers died in one day. The refrigerated trucks were filled with bodies. We had to get used to the phrase overrun morgue. Mass burials were on the island where the city buries its unclaimed dead. But last week, New York saw the first day without a single confirmed coronavirus death. So now we find out, right? What's New York going to do? Can New York return to the old ways without having a resurgence of the virus? Will the protests make it worse? And will Donald Trump blame the protesters if it gets worse? Will Donald Trump blame George Floyd's death at some point on him having COVID-19? We found that out. He was tested in April. He was asymptomatic. Mark my words, one of these people or more of them, before this is over, they'll get so craven and desperate that they will say that that cop's knee on his neck didn't kill George Floyd. The COVID-19 did. Believe me, at some point, it's 50-50 that Trump says this cop got a raw deal. 
it's 50-50 that Trump brings this cop out on the campaign trail with him. And I'm terrified of the thousands of people at the protest. I supported them, but this is the first time I didn't bring my kid to a protest. I brought my child. I was at the Women's Day protest. I couldn't bring him to that one, Inauguration Weekend. But I brought my child to the anti-Muslim ban march. I brought my child to the Black Lives Matter Millions march before Trump was president. I brought my child to the anti-gun violence march, to the Women's March in New York. I can't bring him to these marches. I can't go to these marches. It's not safe. I've never seen a more inspiring protest in my life that I just couldn't go to. And brother, I've been going to protests. I've been going to protests since Donald was married to Ivana. But we'll see what happens now. I mean, construction sites and manufacturers are back up in New York City. Retail stores can open for curbside and in-store pickup. But it's still not New York. Broadway's going to be out until at least the fall, maybe longer. Probably no concerts. We don't know about sporting events still. Restaurants and bars do takeout. Museums are still closed. We'll see what happens. But don't forget, it all it's working. I mean, those of us trying to do the right thing, like the African nations, are seeing results. Researchers found the USA may have avoided an additional 4.8 million confirmed coronavirus cases. That, that's like 60 million more infections. Who knows how many deaths that means? And it's because we did the statewide lockdowns and we did the social distancing. And so I'm proud of New York. And I'm proud of all the people who have traded their convenience and comfort because they cared enough to have to stay home and suffer to save the lives of Americans they will never meet. And a time when we have a president who one month will go on TV and tell you to wear a cloth mask and a month later will mock a reporter for being politically correct. He said that, I see you have a mask on, you're politically correct. He's the leader of the government response to the pandemic and the leader of the resistance to the pandemic. Just remember the good part about all of this, okay? There's no way Trump can survive this. There's no way he can redeem himself. He could provide single payer to every American's right now. And we can see the COVID-19 go away. It'll never repair the damage he's done. And there's no way, there's no way, even if he gets a second term, a second term is the worst thing that could happen to Trump in his life. Can you imagine a second term if the Democrats have the House and the Senate? He'll leave office more hated than George W. Bush did. And that's a lot. And he's already got lower numbers than Jimmy Carter did at Jimmy Carter's worst. Jimmy Carter being a decent man uh, whose presidency looks better every year. But Trump can't salvage himself with this. He's going to spend the rest of his life pouring money into these grifter lawyers. Keep in mind, he's a parasite with parasites all over him. Brad Parscale, Jared Kushner, Jay Sekulow. This guy's going to be spending everything he has in billable hours, and Rush is going to have no use for him anymore. Donald Trump's remainder of his life will not be a happy experience. I do not wish death on him. I want him to live long enough to see his grandchildren change their own last name. And we got to be sure we're not overly smug to the people who supported him if they come back and say I was wrong. If they say I was wrong, we accept it. But you know, a lot of them can't. They're just going to be like they were with Bush. They'll hate us for being right, and then they'll pretend they never supported him. Mark my words, half of these Trump supporters in 10 years, half of them will deny they ever supported him, and the other half will still support him. And imagine how bleak that is. Having to be the person who grows old without having been able to realize how Donald Trump was fucking stupid. I want to thank you all so, so much for listening. We have some great episodes coming up with Midwin Charles, legal analyst for MSNBC and CNN, uh, the great Professor Corey Brechneider, some surprises, and we'll be getting a lot more of these out now that my sexy liberal video is uh, done. If you get a chance and haven't seen the special, though, go to Run the World and look up the sexy liberal virtual tour. Um, uh, let me know what you thought. I love your thoughts. Also, I do this show every night on Sirius XM. 
9 p.m. till midnight Eastern time. Kind of gotten used to it. It's a lot of fun. We had Tommy Chong on 420 Day. Ted Lou's going to be on the show this week, the same day that uh, the House has their police brutality hearings in the Judiciary Committee. And we have great calls every night. We'd love you to join us. Even if you don't have SiriusXM, call me at night, 866-997-GRIT. Go to johnfuglesang.com and send me a note anytime. We'll read your letters on the air over here. And uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for uh, just being wonderful. And thank you for getting it. It's really a pleasure to do this podcast for sweet, empathetic, kind people who can appreciate a good dick joke. Uh, Thanks, as always, to Ron Hartenbaum. Thank you to Jennifer Hagerty. Thank you to Chris Lavoie. uh, And thank you to the great Bob Seska. I'm John Fugel saying Trump's not the Antichrist, but Christ is the anti-Trump. Peace. Now, more than ever, we're all thinking about our hygiene. All day long, all day strong. We are washing our hands and squeezing into our eyes. That's right. But we are still taking a huge carry of virus with us everywhere. Our phones. Yeah. They're a vector for disease, and we rarely clean them. I mean, the other day, we tried wiping one down, and I was like, come on, girl. You know, we know what we need. We know exactly what we need. We are constantly touching our phones with our hands and even pressing them to our face, which is a no-no these days. It's time to take cleaning your phone seriously. That's right. The Clean Foam Pro Sanitizer uses medically proven UV light technology to kill 99.99% of all bacteria that comes in contact with your phone. That's right. It's better than wipes and safe for your device because you can't boil it, your phone, right? No, you can't. And the Clean Phone Pro gets every inch of your phone clean with the nine high-power UVC lights. Mm. Dedicated wireless charging pad on top of the chamber. Wow. You can be sanitizing other items while wirelessly charging your phone or just use the Clean Phone Pro as your go-to charging station at any time. Fully removable top means easier fit for more items and larger items. So, you know, you can be sanitizing your, your behind. Oh, Depending on the size of your behind, yes. maybe you're behind too. Maybe. Uh, maybe, I don't know. Here's the deal. You got to go to thecleanphone.com today and get one for just $89 in free shipping when you use the code SEXYLIBERAL. If you're serious about hygiene, it's time to get serious about cleaning your phone. Go to thecleanphone.com and keep your phone truly clean. Remember, use the code sexy liberal for a two-day free shipping <laughs> and we will ship immediately. That's right. That's thecleanphone.com, thecleanphone.com. <laughs>